We're live. Welcome in, everybody. It's Friday on. Ah, oh, damn it. It's 101. <laughs> Crap. I'm over here like saying we're going to go live for the first time in a long time because of my silly bum. But it's OK. We'll just count it as on time. Hans, not legal advice. Uh, community forum members. Thank you again for joining us today. Really appreciate it. Lots of stuff to talk about, obviously, as, as is usual. <laughs> we'll do our, our usual update from not legal advice. Uh, uh, AKA Richard, AKA Borghan, AKA Bob, AKA whatever you want to call them. And then we'll get into our topics. Uh, not legal advice, hit us off and then uh, yeah. we'll go from there. Yeah. So the quick MMTLP, and then I'm going to give you a quick uh, Tesla too. Um, quick MMTLP. Uh, I am involved in litigation. So I have two oppositions I'm filing. FINRA, who is a uh, regulator, um, like let's say the FDIC, they're they have provided a excuse for what has occurred. They have acknowledged there's a problem. Their excuse is that they were incompetent. That's basically their excuse. And because they're a federal organization, they're immune from liability, which, by the way, is a big problem that we have with all regulators. Since all regulators are immune from civil liability, as long as they're not like acting criminally, if they just screw up, no harm, no foul. And real quick, for the context for people that are not aware, this is the a short, a naked short selling scheme yes. that was yes. okay. Got it. Correct. And, Correct. and so basically, there's admission of guilt in a way. Well, it, yes, they acknowledge okay. liability, but in, the, in this case, they're a they're a governmental entity, so it doesn't make a difference. There's no risk to them by doing that. In fact, they think by admitting they were negligent that that creates the immunity. Because that if they're just negligent, then they're immune from liability. So, so, but that's a problem we all have in every federal regulatory situation. The FDIC, if the guys didn't properly go out and examine Silicon Valley Bank, well, that, that's tough. That's unfortunate, but there's no remedy. And really? I don't think you can, and I don't think you can even fire those people because they're government employees, they'd be protected. So I think that's ludicrous. And that creates the situation where we have bank failures or we have regulators who are stopping Tesla from doing okay. FSD. Can I just ask a question? Because I'm kind of mind blown here. So what you're saying is if you in the United States, if you are part of a government body and uh, you do something that materially and let's say it's completely messed up and a lot of people, for example, lose their money and, and the, the per people that are part of that government agency that's let's say are are supposed to be overseeing the the thing uh, as an example those if those people are at fault they can say well we just are neg we're just bad at our jobs right they can just yes. say we're just bad at our jobs and then the 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 way the system is set up then those people essentially become they go scotch free it's like okay well okay got it you're just bad at your job sorry correct correct and that's it and that's where that's it stops it. that's it that's insane. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that's why we have issues that we have. It's it's not by coincidence. So that's Hans, really you're, you're muted. We can't hear you. It might be your mic on the OBS side. Go ahead, Richard. Sorry. Yeah. Well, that's fine. Hans, if you want to say something, go ahead. He's got he's got to figure okay. it out. That's okay. why that's why I threw yeah. it back to you. <laughs> yeah. So that I, and, and it is ridiculous. So but it creates huge problems for us, I think, way beyond just what I'm talking about. The other thing is there's that Tesla case is ongoing. The case where there was a, a civil rights claim at Fremont, 
there was a damage award, $115 million. That was reduced to like 15 or something. And the uh, plaintiff elected for a retrial on damages. So there is a hearing on it today. And there is a proposed trial set to begin next week on the issue of damages in that case. I don't, it's in front of the same judge. So I don't see how if they came back with a huge award, he couldn't but reduce it again. But well, we shall see. It might impact future cases against Tesla at Fremont relating to conduct that occurred like 2019 or before. Got it. Okay. Thank you for the update. Hans sure. has disappeared for, for a little bit, but he'll be back shortly. Um, by the way, uh, StreamYard, which is the live streaming platform that we use for this, uh, producer wife looks like we just have some new capabilities. Uh, so if you see some experimentation, it's because we'd love to experiment on this channel. So st if stuff starts looking crazy, it's because producer wife is going to make this even better than it already is. So thank you, producer wife, for not breaking the stream uh, in advance. Okay, so a lot of things have happened today. Hans is in the background figuring out his situation. He'll be back here shortly. Um, a, a lot of things to talk about. What, what's something that's come to mind, Richard, from your end that you want to hit? Uh, uh, the, yeah, I got a list. So I'll start off with the Model 3 losing its EV tax credit, maybe? Sure, potentially, potentially starting April um, 1st. Yeah, so I saw like a, a discussion about that, and they were they had a bunch of different angles on it. I thought it was kind of an interesting take. One, they thought it came out a week before the end of the quarter, so maybe it's a way of Tesla now contacting everybody and get, making that last week of the third quarter have a huge amount of Model 3 sales because there's an EV tax credit. Uh, two, there was a discussion that maybe the uh, Department of Treasury or the IRS is going to modify the regulations, and this was a way of Tesla kind of publishing that to make it really obvious to kind of lead them down that path. Three, they might have an alternative source for the LFP batteries. I think these were LFP batteries from China. They might Correct. have an alternative source for the LFP batteries. Uh, four, you know, it might be part of Mexico, I guess. You know, maybe they're gonna make these batteries in Mexico. Five, maybe they're gonna get them from, from South Korea. There were recent discussions, you know, about a factory in South Korea. So maybe the batteries are a part of that. So maybe they're going to, and there's a free trade agreement with South Korea, so they could still keep the tax credit if they got the LFPs from South Korea. Uh, I think those are all the points I had as to the tax credit. Got it. Hans, are you back? Can you hear me now? Yes, sir, we can. Sweet. Perfect. Uh, awesome. Real quick, I'm going to, I'm going to, um, Producer wife, if you can pull up the article in the private chat when you get a chance. Uh, so just to give a little bit of context on this Model 3 LFP thing. Uh, so we all know about the IRA, the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, EV tax credit that went live starting January 1st, where Tesla for the first time since I believe 2018-ish, uh, maybe 2019, I forget exactly when, they lost the ability to offer a tax credit on qualifying vehicles because they hit a, a cap starting in January 1st, 2023, they were. But as of uh, from some of the verbiage that was put together to drive the uh, the bill forward, there was going to be a revision at some point uh, at the beginning of Q2, which is April 1st, where some of the conditions around where the raw materials were sourced from would become a requirement to become eligible for the tax credit. Basically, in other words, saying that you would have to 
localize your raw material production and your battery production more 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 so onshoring that meaning that you do it in the united states versus say getting it from china and the model three lowest model is getting the batteries from china those lfp batteries we think and that's why it could lose the ev tax credit uh the lowest the cheapest model three that tesla offers however we'll get more clarification on that uh i think like you said richard maybe uh maybe today today might be the day that we get clarification or tomorrow um, very, very possible so that Tesla can communicate to its customer base that this is happening. And then the, the thinking becomes that starting April 1st, the tax credits that the cars are getting will essentially become fixed. We won't have any more variations. And uh, this is all part of the process of the federal government working with regulators and whatnot and automakers to solidify the rules around the Inflation Reduction Act to make sure that it had the right incentives. Uh, based on how the law was originally written. Did I get that right, Richard? Pretty good? Yeah, I think it's pretty good. I had, I had okay. one additional cynical point. So my cynical point would be yeah. if the Biden administration wanted to F with Tesla and kind of reduce their lead over the other, what I'm going to say car makers, but that's being very generous, they could put this as an obstacle and say, well, let's see if we can kind of reduce their sales a little bit by putting this impediment in the way. That would be my cynical view. Okay. Hans, do you have any thoughts on this? I think mostly just curious to see how it all falls out. I don't have very strong feelings about this being significant impediment to Tesla as far as their ability to continue to drive down prices. I do think, you know, it may slightly close the gap you know we saw ford's disclosing of their financials yesterday so it might you know give a little bit of extra help to some domestic suppliers if they can onshore enough but you know i think pretty much everyone's going to be in the same boat um and yeah tesla we just know that they move faster than anybody else and so i foresee that they'll be probably you know, in all likelihood, they'll be the first ones to be able to capture the maximum amount of credit. And we'll, if that's true, will be the outsized winners um, in all of this. And that's, you know, just an advantage that comes from the speed that Tesla moves at in every area, that they're able to reduce their costs faster. They're able to work with their suppliers faster to navigate supply chain disruptions and um so we'll see that same type of dynamic play out here with the ev tax credit that they'll be able to onshore more production more quickly get the materials from where they need them more quickly of course they're the 800 pound gorilla in the supply chain and so they'll be able to get suppliers to move to the right locations and to get the most favorable contract terms um so it is, you know, just curious to see how it all plays out, but I'm not at all worried about how it affects Tesla compared to the competition. Mm -hmm. Go, Richard. Yeah, I say I'm only concerned about how it affects Tesla as it compared to Tesla. And I know it's, you know, I think Gary said it's about 5% total of the total uh, inventory. So if, if we're talking about 2 million units, that's 100,000 units about. Um, so, I mean, that could be significant. Might, you know, if we're talking about we end up at one eight versus one nine or 
1.7 versus 1.8, it might affect the, the, the local value of the stock. So it could be short-term material, I would say. Yeah, I actually have a lot of thoughts about that. I think, I think I'm for it, quote unquote, hamstringing the Model 3 lowest model because to Hans's point, it incentivizes Tesla to not just onshore production, but to really ultimately, I would argue, lower its cost long term because you are removing yourself from the volatility of the relationship between China and the United States. So I think it's, it's a, and, and it's, and, and again, I give props to the Biden administration and sort of like the, the, the sort of government that we have now that they were able to pass that bill. I think the long-term implications, the positive long-term implications for that bill for the United States are actually significant. And so I, I'm very happy about that. I think the other thing it also does is that it, it, it incentivizes Tesla to um, get this Highland on the roads quicker. You know, so if the Model 3, this Highland project we've been hearing about from Tesla, it's this uh, lower model or not a lower model, excuse me. It's a, a lot of people are theorizing what it is. But what I believe it is, is that it's a refresh on the Model 3 that removes as much of the complexity and inefficiencies that were part of the initial Model 3 build, which Sandy Monroe and others poo-pooed very heavily. The Highland uh, project to me sounds like they're just going to get rid of as many of those inefficiencies as humanly possible. The Flaffer bot potentially, and I know Hans is shaking his head, so I'm curious to hear his thoughts. Uh, but conceptually speaking, what I'm what I'm thinking happens is that the cost of the vehicle comes down to manufacture by X thousands of dollars, maybe two thousand, maybe three thousand, maybe eight hundred bucks. I don't know what it is, but it it makes for better differentiation between the three, the Y, and this compact car that's going to be coming soon from Tesla. And that in itself should lower the cost of entry of that vehicle um, in a world where the tax credit goes away. So instead of it starting at $43,000, Tesla could offer it at, I don't know, $40,000 or $39,000 with the same margin percentage, essentially. And perhaps the strategy becomes, okay, so we'll just, we'll just, make this even cheaper so we'll just go down even more and say offer it for $38,000 maybe it's not the 36 net that the customer was getting after the tax credit but at least it gets a closer to a affordable car where we can offer a $350 or $400 lease on the vehicle which I think will perform extremely well in an economy that is suffering because of the different things that are going on today so that's kind of where my head is at. Hans, I saw you I saw you shake your head. Let me let me hear your thoughts. Well, there are a couple things mainly on the on the cost reductions. I do think that they are going to reduce the cost of Project Thailand, but based on the rumors that we're seeing, I'm questioning at this point whether we'll get Gaia castings for the Highland Model 3 out of Fremont anytime soon. Now we may get an addition of a Model 3 line somewhere else and then that location might have giga castings but um it seems like they're pretty committed still to just continuing with the stamped body assembly in fremont which is just curious to me i'm not exactly sure why they can't go ahead and transfer that over to giga castings in a relatively seamless way um but i haven't had a factory tour there and i think that'd be a great conversation to have with somebody like Corey. Uh, but yeah, it just doesn't sound like we're going to get that. And so that portion of the cost savings, I don't think we'll see out of the Fremont Model 3 for a while. But I do think yeah, a lot of the other things that they're going to do as far as making it upgradable to hardware 4, a lot of the changes in the bumpers, uh, front and rear, 
um, and some assembly there. Those will have an impact. Um, hopefully they can do some unboxing of the process, maybe a partial unboxing there where they can get a little bit better operator efficiency. Um, but yeah, I've, I've kind of been on both sides of the fence here. I thought that they were really going to go all out with a, a Model 3 refresh and really try and reduce their cogs on that product very significantly. But the commentary that Elon had at Investor Day combined with a lot of the news that we're getting out of the factory, it seems like they're not going to prioritize that at this time. So what, like if you were going to guess, how, how much can they re take out of COGS? And those, for the, those, those that are not familiar, COGS st stands for cost of goods sold, which is basically how much it costs Tesla to make the Model 3. So like how much can they take you out? You know, maybe 10%, 10, 15. Yeah. So, so like in the three, two to 3,000 area is what you're thinking? Well, maybe not even that much. Yeah. Somewhere in like 15 to 2,500. So I guess that'd be a little bit lower than. Okay. Okay. Richard, where's their head at with the with the Highland stuff? Yeah, so I think it would be an ongoing cost reduction. So it might be 10% this year, 10% next year, you know, and on and on and on. So the ultimate price might eventually be much lower. I'd heard, obviously, that, obviously, maybe not obviously, I'd heard they changed the lights, the bumper. There was a camera in front in the center of the yeah. bumper. Maybe they changed the hardware. I presume, presume there's going to be some interior uh, sprucing up. Uh, that will be the you know, upgrade that, I, that I'm aware of. But what I was thinking of is more the the compact car and um, the new platform. And if that car could cost 10 grand to make, huh. and you, and literally, and I know it sounds ridiculous, but, you know, they're into cost cutting. So can we get it down to 10? Can we get down to 15? If we get it down to 15 and we sell it for 20, that's 33% margin. Maybe you sell it for 50. And then I, I was thinking of combinations you could do. And, and this is really just to get people in the cars, take advantage of the miles. And, you know, if you buy FSD, we'll sell it to you for 15 grand. Take it. And, well, you know, we're making the money in the FSD. We get the benefit of all the information from the FSD. We kind of invade the market because at some point in time if there's just enough cars on the road it's going to be hard for regulators not per to per permit tesla to do what it needs to do with regard to fsd if if teslas are really the dominant vehicle on the road it changes everything now they're the dominant ev but over time that's going to change because they're going to populate the market and since everybody else sucks at making cars they're going to populate the market at a much faster pace and the ice cars are going to disappear because that's just that's that's how it's programmed. You know, in California, for example, I know 2035 is the last date you can uh, buy an ice car. They're going to disappear. The facilities for for dealing with them are going to disappear. And so um, that that's my babble as to that. So I'm looking for like a really low priced compact with um, a decent margin but throw FSD and get the advantage of both. That's, you know, that's like 90% profit on the FSD. I think, so what's the very interesting th thing there that you, that you bring up and, and real quick, producer wife, can you bring up that picture again? So we can give some context on, on what that was. So this is that model three Highland um, theory where 
you know, it's covered up. People think that this is a refresh version of the Model 3 that has new headlights, new bumper, new uh, looks like a, a quarter panel on the front, new hood. Uh, who knows? A bunch of other stuff. But we'll see. My my guess is this will get unveiled. Uh, this will get released uh, next month because of the loss of the tax credit. But I could be 100% wrong. I think in respects to a cheaper car, I don't see... I don't see how Tesla will get down to a $10,000 COGS on a compact car unless it's a completely different type of transportation vehicle that is 100% autonomous. So I think for this next generation vehicle, I really think the COGS will be much closer to 20. And so if you want to have some sort of ASB on there that's going to make you margin, it's going to be somewhere between 25 and 30. But I think I think the bigger the, the bigger strategy that Tesla is going to take, in my opinion, with this cheaper car, is that they're going to target payment buyers. I think I think they're going to go hardcore into the just pay this much a month. You'll have charging included. You'll have maintenance included. You'll have insurance included. You'll have your car payment included. You can drive it as many miles as you want. You just have to give it back after three to five years and they'll come up with a rate that's like 400 bucks a month or 450 bucks a month. And I think if they can do that end to end thing, it will it will just I mean, forget it, forget it, especially the more conversations I have with people that are part of the car industry. You know, I had that conversation with Ray and Zach last week um, that are, you know, auto dealer veterans that really understand how car like how people shop for cars and people are like just i want to get into the best car possible for 250 bucks a month i want to get into the best car possible for 350 bucks a month so that and that is the kind of market that tesla is going to hit so that's going to incentivize tesla to instead of selling these you know and they'll give an option for people to buy it i think but that's where the market is at and so i think there the the cogs of the car almost becomes irrelevant especially if you can offer software on top of that, you know, like the self-driving or maybe access to karaoke when you're parked. I don't know. Like, I'm just kind of thinking through a bunch of different uh, things. Um, I think that's the bigger opportunity. And so the the COGS number becomes less uh, of an issue and it's more about market penetration. Because if you can penetrate the market with a car that's 400 bucks a month, all like literally all in, especially in, with, the, with the economic backdrop we have now where there's a lot of warning signs, Forget it. Forget it. Yeah. You know what you were saying about, uh, you know, putting you in for a specific price. That is def that's the old school, right? You'd go into a car dealer. They'd ask you, how much can you spend? Exactly. They would then price the car to fit that. And if you were, if, if there needed to be an adjustment, they'd increase the down payment. That's all they would do. Exactly. And yeah. And it has nothing to do with really the price of the car. It's really what you can't afford to spend. Exactly. And they'll yeah. be able to do that with zero down payment, especially with the EV tax credit. If they're able, if Tesla absorbs the EV tax credit and they pass it on through the say like this lease and they know this car likely won't depreciate a lot, if at all, if it become if it comes with full self-driving, then really the lease cost of the car just becomes an interest rate, which is completely insane. And then you layer on maintenance, a maintenance plan on a car that likely won't break because it has a million mile battery and a million mile drivetrain. It's likely never going to crash because of full self-driving, but you still charge 400 bucks a month because you know you're going to be able to charge that kind of price for a car that's just so much better than anything else in this class. But then what percentage of that 400 is profit? It's probably like 50% if the car doesn't depreciate, right? And that's the that's the biggest thing. And I wonder... 
I wonder if that becomes a strategic play for Tesla if if those variables become true. But that's the kind of potential I see with this compact car, you know. Um, oh. That kind of relates to what we were talking about last week about the financing issues about auto financing, right? Exactly. Because now with the banking issues, there's going to be less financing available for autos. If Tesla can basically finance their own cars and make money financing their own cars yeah. at a lo at low risk again because of less depreciation, then then why not? Which then I was thinking about Ford because you know Ford obviously came out with their numbers and their great profit on their EVs. I guess if they sell enough of them. They'll make money, I guess. They, you know, <laughs> volume, volume, volume. But I was thinking, you know, where do companies like Ford's got to expand? All these companies have to like significantly expand, change their models, and borrow money. And when interest rates are at six percent, where are they going to borrow the money? And how is that not going to kill them? That just the interest they're going to pay. And then I thought, well, maybe the UAW might loan them money. Maybe there might be some kind of deal where the auto workers, like from their pension fund, if Ford agrees or GM agrees to kind of uh, to keep them around or some accommodation, that the United Auto Workers might be the source of financing for these guys. Can I throw just something in there for context? So, so you're saying they might they're going to need to loan money because the the profitable part of the business and the ICE is not going to be able to generate the cash flow they need to be able to fund the EV side, right? That's that's why you're saying they're going to loan. That's actually very interesting. Hans, I'll throw it over to you. Do you have any thoughts around this topic? Yeah, I know that we had a very similar conversation earlier this week about this exact topic and the fact that it is kind of a wide open possibility for Tesla to move into captive financing and to really control their own destiny here, regardless of the state of the economy, the state of whatever the Fed is doing, um, the state of the banking sector that they have you know, a growing war chest, a growing cash balance. Zach has expressed interest in the fact that they've already evaluated doing captive financing in depth. So, you know, that puts them in a good position. Now, what that means for the rest of the auto market is, you know, a whole different story. Yeah. Yeah. It's just such a fascinating development. I don't think, I don't, you know, the, the whole full self-driving piece, Tesla insurance, the energy plan that they unveiled for Texas, uh, all these things are starting to sort of fall into the equation of it's going to be much more likely that if you're going to reach the lower income brackets where folks, they can't, you know, somebody who gets paid $40,000 a year and has student loans, it has a, they have rent. And they have a you know maybe a mortgage if they're lucky <laughs> nowadays, mm -hmm. uh, and they might have kids. There isn't you can't buy a car really because you need to put a bunch of cash, which sucks, right? So like the question becomes how can mm -hmm. we solve that? But in 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 a, in a world where we don't have that capability, then that that all in monthly payment that is of, as affordable as humanly possible and gives you insane uh, bang for your buck becomes a a very obvious mm -hmm. play extremely obvious but. and i know that you referenced this but i just want to expand a little bit you know if they've got insurance and maintenance handled in-house they can either you know bundle those in the overall total monthly payment at zero margin and just kind of subsidize it or you know they do 
they're pretty good at business. I think they can probably offer those services at lower cost than competitors. And so they can even price those better than anyone else could price them and still make a margin on them. And so you can kind of add up. So you've got a little bit of margin on the car, got a little bit of margin in your insurance, and you've got a little bit of margin in your maintenance. And so you can actually, you know, be doing pretty well on that sale of that vehicle without ever getting into any of the SaaS possibilities that Tesla has, whether that's robo taxis or some sort of FSD service or monetizing entertainment, entertainment, yeah, attention in the vehicle. Like this is all before that they have a very significant structural advantage in being able to offer those monthly payments at a high amount of profit compared to anyone else. I was going to say, plus if they're insuring it, then there's no need to make a profit on the body work, on the service work, because they're paying it themselves. They're doing it themselves. And I don't know if you've, you've ever had any dealings with like a body shop, you know, they, there's quite a margin in there. Oh yeah. Quite a margin. So uh, the w- one thing about the banking, I think uh, Deutsche Bank is an, an a bank that's at risk, and it would be uh, it's a German bank. Um, it would have to be bailed out by Germany. Um, there's concerns about it. There's been concerns for quite some time about it, just like there were concerns a long time about Credit what Swiss. it's what it's yeah. So if Deutsche Bank has to be bought out again, that will further kind of um, restrict liquidity for financing isn't it amazing how everything seems to be like it sucks like let's let's be honest this sucks it's this is this is really sh- yeah. sh- like it really truly is shitty because a lot of people that don't deserve to be hit because of this they will like let's let's not beat around the bush those the folks that are uh, on the bottom of the income ladder are going to get completely and utterly destroyed here in the next few months and it's like it's, it's it seems quite obvious and it's in- incredibly unfortunate I think I think what is interesting about this whole thing is that it is opening up a dynamic where companies that are able able to uh, offer very affordable services and products are going to have an outsized competitive advantage, especially in industries that where it takes years, if not decades, to build out a supply chain and manufacturing processes that allow you to get to that lower rung of the income bracket. And I think that is an underlying story for Tesla that is not being covered whatsoever that is is already coming to fruition because they bought land in Mexico and they've made it official. And the factory that's going to go there is going to create a car that theoretically you would be able to have an all-in monthly cost somewhere around, let's say, 400 bucks a month. I don't know what that number is, but it's that style. And it's I just find it fascinating that that's just falling on Tesla's lap, it seems like. Like and they're not doing anything about it. I mean, not that they haven't done anything to make that happen. It's just kind of happened, you know. It's just like the universe is it's it's wild. Um, any other thoughts around this topic before we hit maybe Ford or something? Because I'm curious to hear y'all's thoughts on yeah, Ford. The, the, I agree, it's the people's car. Like the V, you know, it I is. don't I don't like the how it arose, but like the VW was uh, Germany's like the people's car. There is something to that. You service the, you know, and this is not just the United States. This is serving all ends of the earth. This is the antithesis, I guess, of Ross, Ger- Ross Gerber, what he would what he w- would want. But this is kind of the mission statement, right? 
advance the this is how you advance it you service exactly. the widest number of people in the widest geography that's why this obsession with brand and marketing is so weird to me and prestige it's like this i mean from the very beginning i feel like tesla as a company their goal has been like exactly what you said it's get get to be mass market so that people can afford it and it truly advanced the advent of sustainable transport and the prestige of the company didn't come because tesla marketed it's because they had really well engineered products that blew people's minds and their owner also freaking shot a tesla into space and the two rockets that took it there came back that's how you had the prestige is from the engineering not because you ran a freaking billion dollar ad campaign to make people feel like they own they feel good about owning the car and so to me that that kind of argument just feels very out of touch to be completely honest and i don't think really is is connected to the reality of the matter which is people just i think love good stuff <laughs> and that's just what yeah. it is i i don't i don't uh I mean, I like Alexandra. Actually, I was going to say I don't always agree with her. I was going to say actually, I do agree with her most. Of yeah. The time. So, <laughs> How dare you? But, hey, but she's yeah. awesome. <laughs> but, but to Ross, I don't know if his, uh, his I think he means uh, well. His politics have influenced his position, but yeah. being from Los Angeles and being from the the left side of the aisle, he sounds like a West Side Democrat. That's kind of how he sounds. Mm -hmm. Uh, affluent, um, but kind of positioning as to other people, kind of in that way. Okay. Yeah. I think I think he means well, but I don't think I think he is disconnected with why Tesla exists in the first place. Go ahead, Hans. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would just say, you know, he he loves Tesla. He's been a huge supporter of Tesla. And I think there's always going to be part of him that wants Tesla to supply a product that fits his needs, wants, and desires for an automobile, which are not the needs, wants, and desires that Tesla is ultimately trying to fulfill with their mission. You know, you can never transition the world to sustainable energy by selling hundred, two hundred, $300,000 cars to people in Beverly Hills. Like, that's not going to do it. And that's what he wants. And he wants a status symbol. He wants something that, you know, will stand out when you pull up at a red light next to, you know, a producer from Hollywood or, you know, these people that. But the Cybertruck doesn't do that, huh? The Cybertruck does not do that. Yeah. It, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it won't eventually once they produce enough of them because sure. they'll be everywhere. And that's, you know, I think that's what he's seeing is that these are just going to be everyman cars and he doesn't want his Tesla to be an everyman car. But just like Richard was saying, you know, the Beetle was. The everyman car and that's what tesla needs to provide to the marketplace in order to transition the world to sustainable energy you know if we can't get the whole fleet of 1.4 1.5 billion vehicles over to electric then we haven't succeeded in that mission so agreed sorry i'm not drunk i promise that was a hiccup i also have i had i have nothing against ross he's a bright guy uh, i agree he's tesla what the only thing I have that that's curious to me is when somebody changes their position, it suggests to me there's some external factor that's making them that's outside of Tesla. And so when I hear him talk, I don't know if he's telling me the full story. I think something else is motivating him. I'm not questioning that he's a Tesla bull. I just think that his attitude changed over the past year 
and something influenced that change. Well, I think he was quite transparent. I think when he was on Herbert's channel, the the sort of what I took away from it was that, you know, he owns a fund. And when Elon started uh, vocalizing his political stance, uh, a lot of his clientele came to him asking to sell. And he had to play defense for a long time. And I think that scarred the hell out of him. And I feel for him. <laughs> and I think that's why maybe publicly he's trying to maybe uh, have his clientele is back. Maybe that's that's what I'm thinking. I, an, alter like an alternative scenario would be he recommended to his client at 400 bucks to buy Tesla. And at 100 bucks, he had to find a reason to justify why it went down to 100. And mm. I think that's an equally plausible reason. And that's why, again, that's exactly because there's two, we just, we, I just gave And that's why he shouldn't be on the board. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that, that's, well, he's not the most qualified person available. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, Hans, did, did you have a topic you want to hit? No? Richard, I, I know like the Ford one, I made a video on it. Not sure if you guys had any sh thoughts on the Ford uh, thing. Yeah. I would love to hear it. It's a, a freaking disaster. I mean, again, I think without without a bailout. Pull it up, producer wife. <laughs> without a bailout, bankruptcy, whatever, you know, and the, 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 the fabricated numbers, what, 96,000 this year to 2 million in 2026. If they can get to 200,000 in 2026, that would be good. Um, I, I have no confidence. I mean, Farley's great, but, you know, they are what they are. And they are, and in their current state and in their current burn rate and with high interest rates and with ICE cars going to decrease in value and position, that's a tough road to hoe. I don't see how they become profitable. I, I think existing by 2026 should be their goal, not profit. Mm. Hans? Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I do, I think this lights the fire under their butt, being transparent. And I know that this is something that Jim Farley talked about, the reasoning behind disclosing all this information is they have got to get their ass in gear. And, you know, not only do they have to figure out how to produce EVs profitably, and at scale, and for those EVs to be compelling, they've also had quality issues that have been systemic that they've been fighting with. And, you know, if you plan to survive over the next five to seven years, you have to get all of those things figured out all at the same time. And this takes me back to the AutoLine interview that John McElroy did with Corey and, um, Sandy, I can't remember. I think Gary Vassal. Yeah, there was one other guy there. Yeah. Um, but they, John specifically said in that interview that there are most of the OEMs that are just structurally, from a corporate structure standpoint, incapable of moving at the type of speed that's necessary. I think this is also one of the reasons for the buyout of a lot of corporate employees at GM, that they needed to drastically flatten the management structure, uh, remove a lot of layers of people so that they can hopefully increase the speed and nimbleness at which GM moves. Um, but they, you know, John did say that Ford, by splitting out the electric segment, has the opportunity 
to create a whole new management structure that could move at the type of speed that's necessary. Um, I think he said that Ford and who's the other? Uh oh. Is uh, Hans lagging for you, Richard? Or is it just me? Yeah. Okay. Hans Hans is uh, being transported by aliens to a different planet. Go ahead, Richard. He's, he's in the metaverse, I think. <laughs> I, I think. Uh, yeah, I think they have a different. It's it's going to be a tough. I mean, it's going to be tough. How do they transition and get the the capital? Losing money. Dealing with the uh, unions, having to build either new factories or new production lines—I mean that—that's tough. That—that that to me only sounds like again a bailout, bankruptcy, something that's gonna save them. And uh, again, I think the that I think they're they're uh, presenting that they would have a profit in 2026. I don't see how that makes any sense. Yeah, producer wife, can you pull up the the slides one more time? Go to slide. Ba -ba -da -da. Let's see. I'm just trying to find it on my end so we can put it up. Uh, page eight. Page eight on the slides when you get a chance. Um, yeah, I I agree with you 100. percent The and then the other thing too. So so here here's that walk that that. Uh, Ford has, and let's do a simple math exercise, right? Because he, so I'll give I'll give I say a positive thing. I see you're shaking your head, and I agree with you. But let's give them credit where credit is due. Okay, uh, they are very ambitious in their plans, and I love that. I think I think Ford was very the very same. Uh, Tesla was the same very same way in 2012, 2013, 2014. They had these targets, and people were like, "You're the dumbest person I've ever heard." And then lo and behold, they hit it right. So the fact that they're putting those out there, I think. Ford should be given a lot of credit, and 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 I and I do like you said, like Jim is seems to be a uh, Jim Farley, the CEO, seems to be a lot more transparent than most, if not any any other peer in the legacy auto industry. However, the targets are very, very, very ambitious. So the blue bar on the left is how much margin they're making now in 2022 on their EV business, which is negative 40 percent margin, which is equivalent to two billion dollar loss in the EV segment. And by the end of 2026, so full year 2027, Ford expects to get to 8% positive margin on the um, on the EV business. 20% uh, of that is going to come from scale or how big and how many units they can ship out. 15% is from design and engineering, which to me sounds like, you know, making it as simple as humanly possible, so on and so forth. 10% is from the battery, the chemistry and the technology, and then 3% is from all other. And then on the left side there on the scale, so that 20% is tied to 2 million units of production capacity by year in 2026. So they're thinking they can reduce they can reduce their margin impact or they can increase their margins by 20% by the end of 2026 by getting to 2 million unit production capacity by the year in 2026. So and and just last year in 2022 they did 96,000 and if you do like a year over year comparison, that is an 83% year over year. So 83% Kagar, which is significantly higher than Tesla's already just mind blowing. Everybody agrees on this on the auto industry, 50% year over year. So four things that can go beyond that from a production perspective, just to put in context, um, just how ambitious these plans are. Again, it's phenomenal. I love that they're so ambitious, but I think 
your point is super valid is like okay but how realistic is it that this is actually going to come to fruition because if they don't hit two million production capacity by 2026 they're not profitable is that simple yeah yeah and, and I, I, I so what they're saying is they could do 20x their current deliveries in three years basically yeah which yeah. i but when they looking at that slide when i was looking four at years. it, I, uh well, we're in 23 it's now. exiting it's exiting 2026. Okay. okay. Yeah. So when it says two minutes, so this would be the, like the little twist. When they say 2 million units of production capacity, does that mean they're actually running a line and on Tuesday it did 50,000, you know, whatever the number is? Or does that mean they built the building that will generate a capacity? So because maybe 2 million units, if you say you built the building and eventually you're going to put the line in and maybe that makes sense, 2 million produced seems nonsensical, to be honest. That's a great question. Hans, go ahead and uh, say what you're going to say and then I'll try to find Yeah, it's out. kind of in between those two things. You build the building and you have the machine, like all of the equipment is purchased, installed. Um, and so it's theoretically... If all of your machines ran at 100% uptime and had 100% quality yield, you would build 200 or 2 million units for the year. Just think about like, you know, when Tesla, we're still on Austin, right? The ramp up in Austin has been, in, in my opinion, been slow. And that's with a company that knows what they're doing and has success at it. Ford does not. So, so kind of projecting like that, I understand why you to make the projections. He's got to keep his job, right? You know, above all, he's got to keep the shareholders in check. He's got to keep the board in check. So I understand, but it really makes no sense. And I bet you if you had him on an interview on Community Forum today, he would not express so certainly that 2 million units are going to be produced by the end of 26. I think he would take kind of a less, a more conservative, more conservative view. Okay. Um, real quick, producer wife, go to page 26 on the deck and bring that up. Um, it's funny you say that because the other thing that kind of comes to mind when I think through this is for 2023, I think you said, and they said this on the call too, their year end production target, production capacity target year end 2023 is 650,000 cars. So going from 96,000 deliveries in 2022 to 650 or whatever that number is, it's it's just such a weird number. It's a weird number, right? But even in the year where they're going to end up having 650,000 unit capacity projection produced whatever terminology they're using, based on their outlook for 2023, so the second line for 2023 producer wife that negative 3 number um, they're projecting a $3 billion loss ramping to 650,000 units, uh, production capacity, blah, blah, blah. And if we compare that to say Tesla's number, when they hit that half a million units per year, they were profitable. And so like, that's, I wonder, I wonder what that, so like part of me says is like, okay, so are you, are you not expecting to sell these? Like, it's such a weird thing, right? Like, are you not expecting to sell these? And then the, the more eye-opening thing from the discussion that they had is that for that 8% margin target in 2026 and the 2026, a question was asked, 
Are you expecting, like, what happens if you have a demand softness or you aren't able to get to that production capacity? They're like, well, we'll adjust to hit this margin target. That's what they said. We'll adjust to hit this margin target, which is such a weird uh, way of approaching a ramp, right? If you look at Tesla, they're always like, well, we need to get to this number. We need to get to a million. We need to get to two million. And then when they were asked, okay, so what's going to happen to this margin number? They're like, well, we're going to do whatever it takes to get to 8% by the end of 2026. So f- to me, it sounds like if they don't have enough demand for their cards, they're going to massively reduce their production. <laughs> and that's that's the reality. Yeah. I, I mean, that, that's absolutely right. I mean, if he says they're going to get to 8% no matter what, the only way you can do that is by, produce, by reducing the supply of cars. That is the only way. Yeah. If you're not reducing, you know, you're not, I guess you can increase the price. I guess you could, but that means you'd have to have a super demand. And I don't think he's counting on that. But otherwise, I think you, you can you control price by reducing supply of the cars. Hans? Yeah, I think we've heard a similar type of talking point from BMW and other automakers that, you know, they're most focused on trying to maintain a margin of a certain percentage. Uh, like we're going to transition to all electric by such and such a date. And we're going to do so while maintaining margins of blah. And, you know, only an MBA would say something retarded like that. This is not the way that engineers think. And, you know, there's lots of ways that engineers can drive a company into the ground. This is not one of them. Um, And Elon being an exceptional engineer, who's also exceptional at business, knows how to do things from an engineering first principles manner without driving the company into the ground. And so he's looking at any and every opportunity within the entire business to cut costs and you achieve your unit goals and your margin goals by ruthlessly reducing costs in every area of the business. You can tell that most of these management teams are not hardcore about reducing their costs because it's too politically difficult. There are too many stakeholders that have too much skin in the game who hold too many of the cards over their head for them to be able to go to, whether it's their union, whether it's their suppliers, whether it's their board, whether it's their shareholders, there are too many cooks in the kitchen for them to be able to do this at the scale. It speaks to me specifically of like the lack of vertical integration at Ford. You can't tell me that you can achieve that margin with confidence if you do not control your supply chain from A all the way down to Z. There's too many moving pieces that you don't control. And so then what are the levers that are left for you to pull? Well, it is just volume. Like I'm going to ramp up and down volume so that I can try and maintain the pricing power that I want. Because, you know, if if all you control is the supply side, you don't control the demand curve and you're not controlling the competition, which is setting the price. The only lever that you have to pull is how much supply I think I may have said, yeah, you're not controlling demand. You're not controlling price. All you have is supply. And Mm. so, yeah, but they're not trying to transition the world to a sustainable energy future. And so if they fall short 
of volume goals in order to maintain margin goals, then they're okay with that. And, you know, maybe if we have enough companies that do that, it'll be okay. But it just does not sound like a group of companies that is in control of their own destiny or a place where I would invest any dollars and expect them to be safe. Garbage. I was gonna say also, interestingly enough, perhaps it could be good for Farley in a way. If, if he's projecting some capacity and they don't reach that capacity, that means on the EV side, they'll have less of a loss because they're not making money on these cars anyway. Paradoxically, right? <laughs> yeah, so maybe for him going to the board is, you know, we're doing a great job and I, we projected $2 billion in a loss in 23 and we only lost a billion and a half. We did great. So maybe that's kind of a fallback protection for him. So he gives the unreasonable number. They're not going to reach it, but they end up with less of a loss. I think that depends on capital expenditures because a lot of the loss is really dictated by the overall amount of money that they're spending. And so if you can distribute that over more vehicles, then you can show better margin, even though the, the total loss is the same. But what happens in a scenario where, again, I, I think it's very important to keep the economic backdrop for the next few years in mind as well when it comes to Ford. What happens if, uh, say, the economy does hit a soft patch in the next year or two? And folks just can't afford a fifty, sixty thousand dollar car. They just can't anymore. EV or not EV, right? And say apples to apples comparison, it's getting tougher to choose the Ford over the Tesla or the Hyundai or the Kia or the whatever. What what's the likelihood that Ford is gonna be able to eat enough into the market? And if their only successful vehicle is a pickup truck, the EV pickup truck, which one's gonna make them more money? The lightning? or the F-150 series that's gasoline? And which one would they rather cannibalize which one, right? So like th those are the kind of, I think, that's the dynamic that Ford's playing with for the next couple, two to three years. And and a big tell for me on, on Ford's call uh, yesterday, I guess it was, or two days ago, whenever it was, um, that I think solidified that a lot of these targets are very ambitious, but I don't believe they're actually proved out is that they still believe the gas car business will grow. They said it on the call. We think Ford Blue will grow. It's a growth business for us. I'm like, okay. You're talk about hopium. <laughs> Tesla bulls, Tesla folks get called, you know, hopium people constantly, right? And I'm like, okay. Um, all right. I mean, okay. if they can transform the overall business culture to one that iterates at least two or three times as fast as it does now you know, there is a potential because the world is going to need a lot of cars and more cars than we'll have supply for EVs. And so if they can just not be the slowest person running from the bear with their ice business, they actually do have an opportunity to grow. And I think, you know, that would be the same for all of the major OEMs that they've got to get their budding gear. Um, but it's only like that only extends a little bit of runway. Yeah, I don't see how you grow the ice business at the same time you grow the EV business while you're losing money and interest rates are high. I don't I don't see that as a successful equation. Pace of innovation cures a multitude of ills. And that's what I'm saying. Like the only way that they can do all of those things is if they get way better at moving way faster today. 
The only way they could solve those problems is if they were Tesla. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's quite fascinating. How how do you guys think about how do you guys think about Tesla's twenty twenty three and twenty twenty four in comparison to what Ford is doing? Right. So like one of the one of the common uh, things that I hear is like, well, now that now that Tesla has dropped their prices at the beginning of the year, it shows that their profitability is going to go down. And so as as Ford ramps up, Tesla's going to lose more and more money because all their profits are going to go away. And that's how Ford and everybody else is going to catch up. Like, how, how do you guys think about that? Do you guys even think that's a valid argument? I think first quarter is going to be a record quarter for deliveries. That's what it looks like. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I think we'll, you know, I think we'll go 450. How's that? We'll go around. No way. 40. Yeah. I think we're going to go around 450,000. Um, so maybe margins are going to be lower. You heard it here first. <laughs> yeah. You heard it here first. Exactly. On the button, 450,000. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, margins are probably lower because of. And if uh, you're wrong, you'll do what? I'll give you eight hours of a visit in prison. Okay, perfect. Right. <laughs> as a Free. lawyer or as just Free. like a like out of sympathy? As a, at what, in whatever capacity you want. Okay, perfect. Okay. <laughs> um, Very kind. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I got I got lost now. I forgot what I was talking about. Margin. You're talking about um, margin for Q1. Yeah, so I, I think margins might be lower because of the price cuts, but volumes are going to be high. I mean, I mean even Troy, Troy said that he kind of understated, especially like European uh, sales. So I think we're going to do well. And compared to, to Ford, Ford did 96,000 in the entire year. So. Yeah. The more than 4X what Ford did uh, in Q1, yeah, which is, which is in, in one quarter. Yeah. Which to kind of put within perspective what, what that's going to look like. Yeah. Um, Hans, go ahead. Sorry. I, I'm not sure if you had something to say. I think it's definitely looking like it's changing the narrative also on the situation in China. You know, mild decrease in pricing in china of the model 3 seems to be eviscerating byd as a competitor so um that's cool to see and i'm i do want to see what are the final numbers and what does the overall market look like it's shaping up to and if that situation continues throughout the year and that tesla just continues to be able to sell through in China at incredible rates and grow production out of Shanghai, that's you know a much better tailwind for the stock than people were expecting. I think that's one of the main reasons why the price of the stock had pulled back so much. That's it, you know, Hans. That's interesting. You brought up China because I I was looking at that yesterday. So they're bitching in China, I guess, the car industry about Tesla's price cuts. Saw that. You know, which to me is so funny. You know, like imagine in this country bitching about price cuts if you're a consumer. But but they are. It's the and the car industry. And I guess some are realistic about it. There's too many manufacturers in China. They think that a lot of them are going to go out of business in the next year because of the price cuts. Um, I saw like the Neo CEO said basically, you know, whatever, it'll kind of clear out the market. And, uh, you know, he kind of looked at it as more of an opportunity. But I was like really interested that they were fighting the price cuts or they thought it was they suggested it was a bad thing because it destabilized the car market, I guess, the EV car market it was interesting to me. I didn't know if the government was going to take any action. I guess they hadn't taken any action. 
Well, I think the government took action. That's why that statement came out. Because what happens if the Chinese car companies have to reduce money further for, for a money-losing business in a lot of cases? They have to spend more money. I think I think one of the one of the uh, ripple effects that Tesla's price cuts in China has done is that we knew that BYD, Neo, Xpeng, all these players were already at almost break even essentially, and so and and these are heavily funded by the Chinese government because of incentives because they want to move towards a sustainable future. It's fantastic, but if uh, a car company in Tesla that has the pricing power can come in and stoke demand by getting cl- closer to say. 20% or 15% margin, whatever that is in that region, but everyone else goes negative, there's a clear winner. <laughs> there's a clear winner. So so th- that's the signal to me. That, that that statement signals to me that the Chinese automakers are hurting from the perspective of profitability. And the one player with pricing power is actually finally flexing their muscles. And in a environment where, again, there's economic downturn and folks will bias towards lower priced things on average, the only player that will survive in that standpoint is the one that can afford to do so profitably. It's that simple. It's that kind of equation, right? I think I think that is a very fascinating development. I think the Ford development is a, another very fascinating one that you have all these like, in this year seems to be trending towards, hey, all the all the all the thesis, the bull case, the long term thought process around Tesla that a lot of bulls and and the story sort of got mocked for for a really long time. It seems like twenty twenty three is becoming the year where a lot of these are being proven out. It's being proven out. Well, Tesla scale is second to none. Yeah, well, ICE car makers will destroy them when they want to. Okay, cool. Twenty twenty three. What does Tesla do? They lower price massively. Q1, they'll still show a significantly higher profit than anybody else uh, class leading, probably around or at 20% or perhaps above 20%. And then Ford shows their hand, a legacy automaker that legitimately wants to do this right. And they're like, oh yeah, that scale that everybody was talking about, it doesn't apply. <laughs> That's not how it works. As we, as a lot of people have been saying, we're losing a lot of money. So the legacy companies coming in and eating Tesla's lunch argument is completely destroyed to me, completely destroyed. And then you have the story out of China and then pull up this tweet real quick. Um, producer wife as well from Troy Teslake. I don't know if you guys follow Troy Teslake. Phenomenal resource for data. He has a Patreon. I think it's 10 bucks a month or five bucks a month. You get a bunch of data around Tesla's quarterly efforts and a bunch of stuff. Highly recommend Troy. The end of quarter delivery push in Europe is stronger than I expected. And this was around noise that, oh, well, you know, Tesla is going to underperform in Europe because of uh, Tesla's uh, rhetoric, because of Elon, and he's going to, you know, sort of do a lot of brand damage, so on and so forth. And then we have all these point pointers that Tesla is massively overperforming in Europe versus expectations. And Troy is somebody that I believe looks at stuff very objectively. And I think this quarter he was being a little more conservative because of some of the things around them removing radar when they uh, were trying, you know, it's just a bunch of complexities in the European market. And then he comes out and says this. So demand seems pretty damn strong. It seems pretty damn strong. So uh, it's just a validation of the thesis over and over again, I think this year. And I'm curious to see if that plays out for the rest of the year. Well, and we've also heard a lot more talk about how they're smoothing out the delivery wave. And so people were expecting to see smoother deliveries. And then lo and behold, yeah, it's still pretty wavy. 
So I think that also plays into some of Troy's conservatism there. Um, yeah, I, it's incredible just to see how performance at the end of this quarter is shaping up versus what people felt like it was going to be at the beginning of the quarter. Um, and once again, just reminds us, you don't count Elon and Tesla out just because everyone thinks that they can't do it. It kind of reminds me of, you know, ba basically trying to bet against Secretariat at the Belmont after already winning the Kentucky Derby and the Preakness. Oh yeah. Secretariat's going to totally choke and fail all these other horses. They're going to totally outcompete in this race only to be absolutely destroyed. Do horses choke? <laughs> Are horses known for choking, like LeBron James they, in the I finals? Oh, snap. I'm kidding. <laughs> and by the way, Secretariat is my favorite horse ever. ever, ever. Fun fact. Yeah. The greatest ever. Say, Yeah. Yeah. I think Troy, Troy uh, estimated low because if you look back, his error rate in the last two quarters was on the oh, – he overguessed by like 4 or 5%. So I think he was being conservative to kind of take that into account. The other thing I was going to say, it's interesting about Europe because that uh, that involved Europe. The EU at the same time is trying to, or I think it's the EU in total, they're trying to roll back the end date for sale of ICE cars in the EU, um, which is interesting. Roll back um, meaning make it further out? Yeah. Is that what you yeah. mean? Okay. Now it's 2035. I think it's still that 2035 date. Now they're trying to extend it, I think, to 2045. Um mm. And maybe it's an issue of battery supply. I, I don't know what the uh, what the reason is, but but I know that they're trying because I, I saw a story on that yesterday. Okay. Yeah, that actually reminds me of a callback from earlier that I meant to talk about, and that's the fact that I do expect European battery supply to, at when it's all said and done, end up qualifying for the IRA in the United States. So I think that will also be a tailwind that some people will be able to take advantage of. Interesting. So you're thinking manufacturing in Europe will count towards IRA in the U.S.? Yes. So we'll, how, we'll quick... do, how about how about like Berlin? If they make batteries in Berlin and they use them in Berlin, you can get a tax credit for that? <laughs> no, but they could make them in Berlin and ship them to the United States. So yeah, like if Volkswagen wants to produce cars in Europe and export them to the United States or produce batteries in Europe and then export those to be used in uh, vehicles manufactured in the U.S., they could do that as well. What if I'm a U.S. citizen in Berlin that wants to buy a Tesla? <laughs> <laughs> Come on. We have a lawyer. He should, he should know the answer. <laughs> That's funny. Um, we're going to do Q&A in about 10 minutes. We already pinged the chat. Thank you all so much for joining us today. We have uh, a little over 800 people watching today. Thank you all so much. A lot going on in the world. So the fact that we have anyone watching us is crazy enough. And the fact that we have 809 people watching us is like complete mind blowing. So thank you so much. For watching uh, in about 25 minutes we're going to go to our member only stream which you can join uh, by joining right below this video half of the proceeds from those uh, from from today's community forum and every friday's community forum goes to our community fund where folks like richard and hans and everybody else in our community decide what to do with those funds we keep talking about buying truckloads of ice cream and just gorging or maybe being nice people and donating it to somebody but the community decides i don't care what happens there and then you also gain access to our private discord which is filled with the most awesome people you ever meet in your life as you can see as you can see so um any uh what's the what's the last topic here before q a in about seven minutes what's going through your mind is there anything you guys want to hit or should we do extended how are you guys thinking about this 
I like the, I like the Q&A, so I'm open. Yeah, I'm okay. good with an extended Q&A. Okay, nice. Well, extended Q&A it is. So producer wife, when she gets the chance, she's going to have to multitask. So she's going to have to end the poll, and we're going to have to see the results from our poll. And then she's also going to bring up our first question. And then from that point forward, she'll only bring up the best ones, the only best questions, which is every single one of them. I might as well ask um, one, one question before we get there. Yeah. Is there any, anybody have any idea, any seen any reference to that second Gigafactory that's supposed to be announced upon the uh, groundbreaking of the Mexico Gigafactory? Not yet. Okay. Yeah, still waiting. I'm guessing at some point. Probably end of April, if I were to guess. So the question was, will Ford hit their 8% margin target and 2 million production run rate by the end of 2026? 89% say no, 10% say yes, and 1% don't exist. Poll complete, 175 votes. So a lot of confidence in Ford in this poll. Um, <laughs> Jim, if you're watching this, I believe in you, bro. You guys can do this, okay? Jim Farley. Go ahead, Hunter. I was just going to say i wonder if they haven't finished negotiating the location yet if there's still maybe two two locations that are left in the running and that's why we don't know what the the next one will be the only thing i would say is it would have to be some place that has a free trade agreement with the united states so that would be uh anywhere in europe really south korea Canada? i think anywhere in europe uh canada, canada. Yeah. Okay. I think that makes sense. Okay. Let's do Q&A. Producer wife, hit us with the first one, and then we'll see what comes up. T. Nelly, longtime listener. What's up, T? Question. Given the macro market, will record deliveries in Q1 meaningfully move the stock price, or will it take major events like a Fed pivot and Cybertruck production? Love your thoughts. Thank you very much. Richard and then Hans, what do you guys think? Yeah, I think it, it will support the stock price. I think Cybertruck will move the stock price. I think the one of the things that we kind of needed to support the stock price, we actually got this last week with all of the banking crisis, and that is liquidity being pumped into the system. You know, the Fed can call it whatever they want, but they just reversed two thirds of the quantitative tightening that it took them several months to do in the course of a week. Um, so as long as the money printer goes back to Burr then there's a lot of upside potential for equities from that standpoint. There's also a lot of risk right now in the system for risk assets, which Tesla is one of. So, you know, it's hard to say how that will play out, but we at least have one tailwind at the back right now. The, the most interesting thing about the whole uh, QT thing real quick, the quantitative easing or uh, like the thing that the Fed did to rescue the banks. The one argument I'm hearing is that, well, that's not, it's not QE, it's repossessing of assets. I'm like, bro, there's more money in the system. Who cares? Like, that's just what it is. Let's, wh why are we overcomplicating this? This is like, this is why we're here in the first place. We're overcomplicating shit that shouldn't be overcomplicated. It's just so simple. More money out, more inflation. Easy. More, 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 money more out. chances. Yeah, more <laughs> money to the banks means it's more money out into the public stream. Also. Exactly. More it's like so weird. Like like technicalities, it blows I, my mind. I think it gets caught up in terms of like the government bailout versus how it's done, because I don't think they want to call it a bailout. And theoretically, it's raising money from all the financial right. financial institutions. I think ultimately, if the institution fails, it's a bailout. Exactly. 
100%. Couldn't agree more. As far as this uh, this comment goes, I'm going to say something very controversial. I think buybacks will be the biggest signal that Tesla's liquidity and its financial positioning is the strongest in the market. And I think if they buy back, I think that's a bigger signal than any deliveries they do. Because that signals that their cash position is perfect. They'll never need to take a loan. Their cash flows are good, especially in a tight uh, in a tight environment. What do you guys think about that? But, um, go ahead. Go ahead. I have one question. If you had to pick between Tesla pursuing captive financing or doing buybacks. Oh, captive financing. A hundred percent. Yeah. But I, to me, the signal of the buyback is more important than the actual, the, the net effect of the buyback is what I'm saying. The signal is sense to the market. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was going to say is Elon's been pretty conservative in terms of his economic forecast and his commentary on Powell. And he believes that it's been you know, destructive, et cetera. So if he really believes that, it would be hard for me to, to also believe that he'd be quick to get rid of cash. But that's what I'm saying. That's if he were to do that, imagine the signal that sends. No, no. Yeah, and I'm yeah, saying yeah. that it would be difficult you, if that was his concern for him to get to that point where he'd it. actually okay. be willing to get rid of the cash. Understood. Great question, Tinelli. Not financial advice, by the way. We don't know what we're talking about. Just three morons. <laughs> actually, one moron and two really smart people. I shouldn't be calling you. What am I doing? Come on. Uh, I definitely qualify in the moron camp. <laughs> you, were, you were correct with your three morons. <laughs> two morons and a lawyer. So I don't know which one's worse. Just kidding. Next Four one. Morons. <laughs> Media Cafe Online, LLC. Community member. That's why he's got a badge. Uh, thank you so much. Question. Without a strong gross, uh, gross margin... Uh, Ford, Volkswagen, and or, and or Toyota, how will uh, ICE I think, cars... I think GM is... It's GM, not gross market. Let's try again. Here we go. Media Cafe Online LLC. Thank you so much for your question. Community member because of the little symbol. Question. Without a strong GM, Ford, VW, and or Toyota, how will ICE cars be replaced in any reasonable amount of time? 2035? That's a great question. How do you guys think about this? I think if we lack supply, it may be in even longer than 2035 because we get back to that, you know, we, we, we repeatedly, repeatedly go back to that, that chart and that dead zone if there's not enough production. And we talk about it and we see the legacy being inept. And I think it's still in play. And if, as long as they're inept, the longer that date gets dragged out. I just want to make a comment. I every time you lean like to the side, you always look like Phantom of the Opera because it's only half of your. <laughs> I just I just about to make a comment. Just there you go, much better. Thank you. Go ahead, Hans. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that just like a lot of the other areas of the economy right now, when they get in trouble, we see some sort of government intervention. That's going to be something that is undoubtedly on the table for these companies, GM, Ford, VW, Toyota. They employ too many people. They're too politically connected. The UAW is too large of a player um, for all of these companies not to get some assistance. And so they may not be strong, but with the support of global taxpayers, something will work. Yeah. And I and think the question the, is what? Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I just I was gonna say the question is exactly how does that play out? 
Also, the question is, you know, what happens if there's a different administration? I mean, is a Republican administration uh, as likely to assist the unions? Probably not. That's a fascinating question. That the 2024 election is going to have a some repercussions to this for sure, a hundred percent. I think the replace it's going to take forever to replace gas cars. So I think we're talking more about a hundred percent EV sold each year. It might be 2035. I mean, theoretically, the the quicker the ICE car makers go away, the faster we'll get to full EVs uh, sold each year. But it'll be 30 million versus 100 million, right? It's so which which means that then the the fleet's going to take forever to be replaced. So 2035 could be the earliest that 100% of the cars sold, or as close to 100% of the cars sold are EVs. Let's say mainstream cars like Ferrari. I think will always make a gas car, and they should because they're beautiful, right? So whatever. But um, yeah, I, I think the the bigger question is which car companies will take larger market share because of GM, Ford, VWs, and Toyota's inability to shift to EVs quick enough. Mm-hmm. And those are the real winners. Uh, the fleet will suffer because of it, but from an individual company perspective, those companies are the winners. I was also wondering if like, uh, at some point in time, as we get more penetration and oil becomes less of a valuable commodity, I wonder if the oil company, just like the Saudis did, are the oil companies going to start investing in this technology or related technology, and that will be the ultimate boost, the kind of the capital that comes from there that pushes the technology forward. That's a great point. Yeah, because all, all the all the financial, uh, I guess, incentives will be in place. It becomes an economic no-brainer for these guys to get into into the play. Basically, go ahead, Hans. The other interesting investment play is, you know, if there really continues to be an affordability crisis in the car market and we see used car prices at elevated rates for a long time and we don't see enough new car sales, then I think that's a huge tailwind to mechanic shops, transmission shops, tier one and tier two auto suppliers selling replacement parts um, that, you know, it could be that the overall market looks more like a Cuba situation where, yeah, We've just got to do what we can to continue to maintain older vehicles at higher levels for longer. And then, you know, if the used car prices are at elevated levels, it makes a lot more sense to spend more money on those repairs and refurbishments. Um, And so we could see a transition in the overall market to who's making money off of cars and car parts. Yeah, at some point in time, I would think that oil prices would significantly increase because there'll be some period of time where demands is going to drop off the table and people are going to stop producing and um, the supplies will be more limited. And it'd be interesting to see because that's going to supply those used cars and it'll make the cost of use higher. Um, But for some people to get in, they can only go into a used car. Obviously, that's a a place also Tesla might be able to exploit with either their own used cars or with the lower end vehicles. Mm-hmm. Good point. And I did want to just, you know, if we end up in a situation like that, that's really bad for developing nations that, you know, they're getting the vehicles that they have from the used market in the developed world. And so just, you know, it, 
it represents a massive reduction overall in the amount of cars available in the market, which is going to have a disproportionately negative effect on the poorest of the poor. Also, you know, realistically, I bet you there'll be some other companies that do come out of the woodwork that don't exist now, that we've never heard of, that will be viable, that will do a good job, make money, provide supply. Um, yeah, specifically yeah. Chinese companies that are like, yes, right now there is going to be a contraction in the Chinese market. But if they can start exporting globally because there's a shortage elsewhere, you know, just because a Chinese company can't be competitive against Chinese competitors in the Chinese market, that doesn't mean they can't outcompete other automakers from other countries in a global market. Also, you know, we have to look at it in the big picture. That might be the, the, the means by which the United States and China have a way of kind of resolving their differences. If Chinese, the Chinese need the international market, just like the United States needs the international market, then they have to play nice-nice with each other. So maybe there is a detente that will arise out of that necessity. You just use a French word on us, detente? What does that mean? Okay, it's a, like a, it, let's say they will reach some type of agreement mm. not, not to fight, not to argue. Like a truce. Not, yeah, a truce, not a full resolution where everybody goes out and celebrates and everybody's happy. Uh, Gotcha. It's a better, but it would be a better position, obviously, than we are in now. Got it. I like detente better. Next question. <laughs> I always learn new words. Probably because English is my second language. Severin Lomberger. Uh, oh, my God. Severin. I'm, I'm so sorry. Uh, longtime community member. I'm sorry for butchering your last name. Severin, you're the man. Question. Shouldn't Tesla fight back harder against lies and disparagement through legal action with lawyers? Maybe we should... Uh, the, I'm curious to hear our lawyer answer this question. Hans, go ahead. I'm kidding. Go ahead, Richard. <laughs> no, I think they are. I think uh, since they they established or improved their legal team starting about June of 2022, and I've seen uh, where in the past they just kind of let things go, that they've responded. I think they're much more active. I think the problem is um, that sometimes you can win but you're not really gaining anything. If you're just proving the point that you already have established um, and maybe you let you get a, you, you give somebody else an opportunity to throw bullets at you. For example, Dan O'Dowd, you know, there's probably a re, you know, it's not like they don't haven't considered going after him, but they've decided that the, what they could get out of it would be less than potential negative that might come out by him throwing bullets at him and the press would pick up some of that. And whether it be true or not, there would be stories out and it might impact the stock. So so I, I think I think they are, but they are, give it careful consideration before they do it. The the Dano Dado example, I think, is actually good for Tesla because it's bringing awareness that Teslas can drive themselves. Because that's basically what Dan is claiming, is that it can drive itself, but it may kill a child, which we know it's not the case. So and then and that's what happened to me at the barbershop when I went to the barbershop. People are like, yo, I saw this Super Bowl. I, I didn't know Tesla's could drive them. So I was like, yo, check this out. I put the barber in the car and he was completely blown away. I'm like, thanks, Dan. Go ahead, Hans. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a huge source of free marketing. And this goes back to the Gen 3 platform and getting more cars on the road. You know, people can crap on it all they want. If there are enough cars on the road with enough Tesla drivers who 
can actually give people rides and do the butts and seats thing, then people can lie about it all they want. There will be someone who can give you direct firsthand experience to counteract those lies within your immediate circle in short order once we reach enough deliveries. I, and I was going to say an exception to this. So I, I think there, there should be an exception to this where there's like a, a, a short report that provides false information. So like yesterday, there was a Hindenburg report that came out against Square and Square, I think, dropped like 20% pre-market and was down 15%. And so um, our, our friendly comrade who was with Twitter denies that there is anything to the report and they're going to put out their contrary report. But that might be a case where you would sue them and to establish that what they were claiming was not correct. And it wouldn't necessarily be for the recovery, but just to establish the truth. Yeah, that that that's a great point. I think from my standpoint is like if if it there are certain things they should go after they should go after is the way I view it. Like sometimes any attention is good attention. I think the Dan O'Dowd one is good attention, believe it or not. I really do think so. I think because it's such a weird thing. <laughs> it's so obviously uh I believe is just it's a huge conflict of interest that that person is running that campaign. It's completely mind-blowing. He owns a competing product, and he's doing... Like, it's clearly... He's, it's just marketing for his own product is really what it is. It's just disguised as a, uh, you know, trying to save people, you know? Yeah, I can't believe that he doesn't appreciate the fact that he has no credibility. Right. <laughs> right? It's, it's mind-blowing. Yeah. It's so weird. Great question, Severin. Thank you so much for continuing to support the channel. You're the man. Always love your uh and that that how cool was that thing you shared on Discord for like the drone thing that he was working on? Yeah, uh, Severin is the man was, for people who don't know. For real. He's like legitimately the man. Chops. And look at how handsome he is too on the profile picture. My God. Could be a model. He probably is. Next question. I don't think <laughs> that support. was him. Okay. <laughs> we'll we'll just assume it was. Uh, Hadouken, five dollar super chat. Thank you so much for your support, brother. Another uh, longtime supporter. Question: How do you think right to repair will affect Tesla in the future? Great question. How do you guys think about this? Well, there's a attempted class action, I guess, that just started to uh, ban Tesla's limitation to their own uh, service centers and qualified service centers. Um, it just was filed. So it'll take a while to run through. Although I could see a very good argument that Tesla could make that they would, it, it, they should only allow qualified shops to work on Teslas. And the only reason they don't let non-qualified shops work on them because they don't have the experience, the competence, and it could be a safety hazard. Hans? I just want to see the free market work here. I definitely think it's a good thing that people are pushing back on Tesla for this. You know, we've known that the service experience for Teslas sometimes is fantastic and sometimes is awful. And so this does put pressure on them to, A, increase the quality of the service that they do provide so people are not miffed about not being able to repair it themselves. Um, and B, I think it is something that Tesla should have to consider who can work on Teslas and who can't and what are the qualifications that they need to have in order to do that well and provide a good experience to the end user and the owner. Um, if we are thinking far enough in the future, you know, if 
Ashok and the FSD team can really execute on the don't ever get into a crash ability, then you would think that the overall need for repairs would be drastically reduced and this would become pretty close to a non-issue except for people wanting to do mods and um you know that's kind of a whole nother a whole nother use case and with all respect due to my profession uh, most of these issues just involve some lawyer who wants to make a buck that's what mm. it comes down to it might be a just i'm not saying there might not be a justification but there has to be some lawyer who sees something and wants to you know uh generate some income um again maybe justified maybe unjustified but ultimately that's usually the source yeah i think long term this is going to be a non-issue I, I agree with hans i think free market should rule here and allow as many people that can repair teslas correctly to allow them to do so uh but i think as tesla continues to build an incentive structure around the cost of the car where they want to limit how many parts they have to ship for repairs by preventing the car from breaking down and how many accidents it gets into by FSD being part of the equation and then offering their own insurance, which is yet another uh, mechanism that incentivizes Tesla to have as little problems as humanly possible. Then I think repairs as a percentage of the fleet is going to be an order of magnitude or more or less than a typical car which I think makes this uh, whole thing, it's still going to be valid, but as a percentage impact to the business, it's going to be negligible in my opinion. Yeah. I, Remember, I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, go back to investor day and think about in their supply chain, they talked about how they're already proactively shipping parts to perform repairs based on feedback that they're getting from the car itself. So if the car knows, Hey, this part just got damaged you know, Tesla's already acting on that. If they can continue to improve that process so that your car needs to be fixed, it knows before you know, and a mobile service tech comes and fixes it before it bothers you, I don't know how many people are going to care about right to repair. Exactly. And I, and I guess the other issue that might be a, that might come into play is the warranty issue because the warranty, warranty sometimes require you to go to a certified repair shop or else you blow the warranty. So maybe you'd have the right to go somewhere else, but then you risk blowing the warranty. That might, that might be the trade-off. Here's a question to, I guess, the audience, but also to both of you. How did you feel about the warranties that Tesla offered? Well, you bought the car? No, so what? they just... Oh, the new ones they, they just announced offer. the yeah new warranties and they're it's like two years, twenty thousand miles, something like that. Yeah, I thought kind of worthless in my opinion. No powertrain, no battery. Those are going to be the most expensive items, kind of. So I mean, there's maybe some value if it's cheap enough, but I really wasn't that impressed. You know, you know what my theory is. Is a trial run for a maintenance plan for the compact car. Okay, interesting. I just yep. thought that they were pretty disappointing, like on for face value. It's like these warranties do not convey confidence in the reliability of your vehicles. Like, I mean, come on, where's the where's the ten year, hundred thousand mile powertrain? Like, if your batteries are able to perform and your powertrain can do what it says it can do, I think it's a data data gathering exercise for them to figure out what the right price is for the compact car. Yeah. Yeah. No. I, I, in that, it's limited in terms of scope. You might be right. 
because as yep. a as a maintenance as opposed to you know another purpose. Yeah, that's that's my theory. I could be 100% wrong, but that's kind of where I'm coming from. All right, an hour and a half in. We're going to shift it over to our member-only stream. Thank you all so much for supporting the channel. Uh, if you do want to be part of the member-only stream, you just got to click join right below this video somewhere. I don't know if it's here or where Hans is at. Make sure you uh, hit like uh, if you enjoy this content. It shows it to more people. Subscribe if you want to see us. Uh, three ugly mugs again, plus other beautiful people as part of our community to be part of this uh, conversation. Uh, as always, these community streams on Fridays, half of the revenue from the videos, from ads and super chats and everything go into our community fund where people like Richard, Hans, and everybody else in the community get to decide what to do with those funds. And that number is getting bigger every single week. So thank you all so much for watching. Thank you all so much for skipping the ads and super chatting and everything. Uh, hopefully those funds go to a good cause and I'm sure they will because uh, my community is freaking awesome. To all the mods, as always, thank you all so much for your amazing work in the chat. The community, thank you very much for a super engaging, respectful conversation. Uh, thank you, Hans. Thank you, Richard, for your continued support and just great conversation. I always look forward to these Fridays. And last but not least, of course, to producer wife. Great job, babe. Well done, as always. Rock star. The real shining star of this show. Not these three bozos. <laughs> thank you all so much. We'll see you on the community only, on the member-only stream, and we'll be there in a few seconds. Bye, everybody. Take care.